Hello, you are very welcome to the Inside Our Schools podcast, podcast where we put all the current issues around teaching in Irish secondary schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. In this episode, we want to take a look at the new public sector pay deal called uh, Building Momentum, and we want to see what exactly does it mean uh, for secondary school teachers? So the guests that we have today are all Dublin-based uh, teachers. Um, hopefully we'll have some more from around the country uh, soon. But for the moment, it's all Dublin-based teachers. And myself, obviously, uh, Andrew Phelan. I'm a, a teacher of uh, PE. Uh, we have Mark Walsh, who's teacher of computer science and modern foreign languages. We have uh, Sandra Fay, a teacher of all things business. And we have Seamus Keane, who's an English teacher. Now, a disclaimer, I suppose, all four of us are members of the ASTI, um, but we are speaking, obviously, today in a, in a personal capacity that their own opinions and not the opinion uh, of the ASTI, in particular with this deal, because obviously the ASTI has to, to make up its, its mind through its balloting process on, on what its opinions of the deal are. So this is just a flavour, I suppose, of what our opinions are uh, on the new uh, public uh, sector pay deal. Um, so, yeah, and we delve down into bits and pieces and, and trash it out. So hope you enjoy. Uh, so that's just thanks for coming along. Um, I, we have these conversations uh, all the time, I suppose, and it's just a, it's a matter of probably inviting other people in to hear the conversations of what's been spoken about in, in unions and so on, and particular with this uh, building momentum, this this latest in, in, in these pay deals i suppose that uh, have been going on since crow park um so there's no need to introduce yourselves um i've already introduced the three of you already uh before this in the, in the intro and i've explained that we're all in the asti but we're all speaking like it's our it's our personal opinion uh, rather than that of the asti because of course the asti still has to make up its mind through its uh, balloting process etc and on what it thinks of this deal but it's just their personal opinions uh, that we wanted to get so i mean it, the deal only came out last week. Um, it's called Building Momentum. It's I suppose it's a the next deal after the PSSA, and there's been many in the past. But like a lot of people probably have heard, you know, the, through social media, because you know you, you pick up on social media and some of the, the groups that are out there, and they're saying like there's nothing in it for new entrants, etc., and, and so on. So we wanted to really look at the deal in detail and see what is in the deal or or what's not in the deal. So Mark, I suppose uh, you're usually the go-to person for info like this. So it's just, what is in the deal really uh, for, for people out there and, and, and what isn't probably more to the point. Um. But I suppose the first thing to say is that um, the, the name of the deal, Building Momentum, what are they talking about building on? I suppose the first thing is that we've seen like over a decade of what we call initiative overload, massive amounts of work, work changes that have been uh, essentially forced through a lot of them as a result of the last crisis. And now with the COVID crisis, all the flexibilities that arose and the changes in work practices, working from home, all that kind of stuff, what, they, what they've stated in the in the programme for government is that they want, to, and, and which is now they're given effect to in this, in this deal, is that they want to pocket all those uh, flexibilities and changes um, to have much more flexible models of service delivery, as they put it. They put it the maximum use of innovative and flexible models of service delivery is what they're looking for. Um, the second thing they mentioned is that they want, in signing up to this deal, we'd be signing up to what's called the public services plan. And this is a plan that we haven't seen yet, but it's a new, they, they have these public service plans every, every couple of years. And there's a new one on the way, but we actually haven't seen what's in it yet. So we're kind of looking at it blind. 
Um, they want us to continue to embrace and support the use of technology, reforming work practices to increase agility and responsiveness, um, greater movement of staff, and also what's particularly new on this occasion is the implementation of a reporting mechanism to ensure that agreed targets uh, are met in terms of sec- in different sectors and that you have to submit these, these plans and targets confirmed that they've been delivered. They'll have to be submitted uh, before any pay increases are actually granted. So it's, it's like, show us the reforms first and then we'll grant you the pay increases. This seems to be built into the, this reporting mechanism. Um, and then when you look at all that, there's no compensation from working for working from home, particularly the teachers, as we know, there's no grants to set up office, home offices or anything like that. There hasn't been for third level lectures and so on. It's, it's the same. So there are some of the workplace work practices uh, they want to change and, and, and make this work more flexibly. Um, but also you have um, the additional unpaid hours that people have been doing over the past while. Um, like if you take it that going back to the Haddington Road Agreement and the Co-Park Agreement for ourselves, um, most public servants were forced to work an extra two and two, almost two and a half hours per week. Now for us, it was an extra hour a week with the Co-Park hours, but we did an extra six hours then in terms of the uh, supervision and substitution. So if you take it, there was about, uh, you know, 16 hours there overall, if you take it, if you look at it that way, sorry, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> 33 hours, obviously, and then the six hours, if you, if you add it up that way. Um, so there's all those extra hours, and they're unpaid, um, you know. And there is a proposal in the deal that suggests that we might be able to reduce some of those unpaid hours. But the problem is that the money that they've allocated to reducing those hours is is only a very small fraction of what would actually be needed to reverse those hours, unpaid hours fully. So just to give an example, the value of the unpaid hours across the public sector was estimated at 620 million in 2017, right? Now, if you count for inflation and various different things, uh, that would be about 700 million at this stage, right? Now, if you look at what the deal offers, 150 million to divide across the whole public sector to reduce the hours, so what fraction of the co-park hours, for example, would be reduced by that? What, three hours, five hours out of, out of the 33? You know, there's very little scope. They seem to be, there was all this talk about reducing the impositions of the austerity era. Before, so we're talking about, a lot about this. And it was one of the so-called pillars of the, of the negotiations. But I mean, you can see how minimal it is. So by the time public servants will give all this extra work that they're looking for, all the extra flexibilities and so on, different changes in service delivery models and all that kind of stuff. Then you get a little clawback on the unpaid hours, which are unpaid anyway. Like So, so I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very minimal, is what I'm saying. Um, the issue of new entrants is huge because um, basically this deal, all it does is allow teachers to skip Point twelve on the salary scale. That's it, right? Now, there's a, there's arguments. The INTO may argue that this resolves it. And shockingly, what the deal tries to do is to try and say that this draws a line under the equal pay issue for teachers. That that's the end of it. Now, with this increment skip of point twelve, that's the very end of it, and there's no more to be done. Now, we just know that's 
particularly for secondary teachers, that's just totally way off the mark. Um, we've done, we've run the, the numbers and we looked at the figures, and it's still the case that the secondary teacher, for example, coming into the, the profession starting in September 21, would still be 5,000 euro down on average per year for the first 10 years. And then there's a bit of a change because of the skip in point 12, meaning that instead of being 3,000 down from years 10 to 20, there'd be about 2,000 euro down from years 10 to 20. So it has the effect of kind of reducing that gap by about 1,000 euro for the years 10 to 20. But that's, you have to get to year 10 to even benefit from that. And when you add up the overall gaps over those first 20 years, that's about 75,000 that new entrants are the new entrant a new entrant starting in September 21 would be down relative to someone who was starting on the old salary scale. So it's 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 massive. The gap is still massive. It's be, it's reduced very very marginally by this uh, by this agreement. And you know at the convention last year, the ASTI 2019, we had a motion. You know we'd taken industrial action, and the other unions hadn't shown a willingness to go with us. So. The decision was then made at convention to work through the Public Services Committee of ICTU, and it was Motion 11 at the ASTI convention last year that said that the ASTI worked with the Public Services Committee of ICTU to ensure that in the next pay negotiations, the government commit to the principle of equal pay for equal work and a timetable for its realisation, right? Now, clearly, they haven't committed to equal pay for equal work in this agreement. And there's no timetable for realisation. So mm. unfortunately, the fact that we, we, we sought to go through Victo on this occasion just hasn't worked. I mean, clearly the, the deal doesn't do anything of what we were looking for uh, in terms of equal pay. So that's that's kind of shocking, but particularly the idea that this, that this agreement is supposed to, quote, resolve in full the new entrant pay issue. That's just totally, it's just factually false basically it's a, it's a lie essentially which is not true um but i think so Mark, that's I, th I think as well like there's a new entrance those coming into the profession this year um or, or or next year but it's really not doing anything for what we suppose the term we use now is lower paid teacher is there is there anything in it, in it for them is there is there any is there well since you mean since 2011 people have yeah, 2011, since 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean it depends on where you are i guess i mean if you're on if you're on point 11 of the salary scale now right um you can jump to point 13 at your next increment okay so you get a bit of a jump you jump over point 12 but what if you're not at that point yet so let's say you started four years ago right what point would you be on point four point five you still have to wait to point 11 before you before you get the benefit of this agreement now people would say oh yeah but there was salary skips or there was increment skips four and eight in the previous agreement and that's true Okay, so it shortens the time a little bit, but you still have to wait to point, point 11 minus two points, which is what you still have to wait nine points before you get to this, to, before you get to benefit from this deal at all. So really, like it's, it just depends on where people are in particular. The reason, the reason we give the example of somebody starting in 2021 is because it allows you to show the full extent of it uh, for, a, for, a, for a kind of a base case, if you like. And then obviously other people will be affected differentially compared to where they are currently and, and that kind of thing. So, so it, it, it's hard to give a case, you know, give an example for everybody. But just the last thing I should say about the, the deal before, before um, uh, other people may want to comment is that uh, there's, a huge, there's huge restrictions on industrial action in this one. I mean, there's restrictions, there's always restrictions on industrial action, industrial peace clauses and so on. 
And you might say, well, you know, surely if it's a deal, you accept the deal and you don't need to take industrial action. That's kind of the approach it to take. But you see, the problem we have is that we're not at the negotiating table, or at least the, the, the union that is at the negotiating table for us to design, the INTO, has negotiated a deal that leaves secondary teachers behind. So, uh, you know, so they've put us in the situation now where, where they've, they've offered us a crappy deal. We don't have the power to, to renegotiate that uh, just like that. So we're, we're forced back into the situation where we've no option but to reject the deal and seek to use industrial action to try and change the deal. Now, it's not it's a combination of ICTU and the government and the INTO that have put secondary teachers now in this position. Mm-hmm. And we can already see that the TUI has recommended rejection of the deal. There is a, a sectoral bargaining clause in the, in the agreement where 1% is offered for sectoral issues. But clearly the TOI have already looked at that and said, well, if that offered the scope to, uh, to resolve the equal pay issue for secondary teachers, then surely they would have said, well, that, that offers the answer to that. Mm. But it clearly doesn't because they've, they've looked at it and they've still recommended rejection of the deal. So uh, just to give you just a flavour of some of the, um, the restrictions in terms of industrial action, there's a six week, once there's a dispute arises, you have to go into six weeks of bilateral engagement. Then there's a referral to a sectoral oversight group. Then you can go to the WRC or to conciliation and arbitration. Then to a public service agreement group, which can then assign the matter to a joint review group or refer the matter to a strategic... uh, If it's a matter of strategic or national importance, they can refer it to what's called a tripartite implementation body. (laughs) So... There's an awful lot of this whole layers and layers and layers of um, restrictions in terms of, yeah, but like real restrictions in terms of industrial action. And, you know, we don't actually, as I just mentioned already, we don't actually have any other avenue because we, we haven't been, we weren't at the negotiating table. Our negotiators, we like the INTO, have left us with a crappy deal. Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? We have to start by rejecting the deal and then try to use industrial action because if we go into the deal, you know, it looks like you'd be tied up in all these uh, restrictions for a long, long time. I mean, at least six weeks initially, and then who knows how long it would take to get through all the different structures there. So it just, you see, what, what we were hoping for when they mentioned the sectoral, the sectoral bargaining clause, we were hoping that that would offer more flexibility to deal with the kind of issues that, 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 cause industrial action down the line. And we even thought that the, the Department of Education and the government itself was saying to itself, how can we set something up that means that we, we'll, ha- like we'll have a sectoral round of negotiations that will hopefully resolve these different, different issues that different sectors have. We'll move away from the one size fits all uh, model that we've had up to now. This will allow us to address the various different grievances that different, different areas of the public service have. And then that will uh, prevent industrial action down the line because we'll have given them the chance to to uh, solve these issues in advance. But <laughs> they don't seem to be doing that because they've already started from a position of not resolving something for us, which is the big issue of equal pay. And then even the sectoral uh, mechanism doesn't uh, doesn't offer enough scope to solve it. So it's almost it's almost as if they're saying. We're, we're, we're pushing you into industrial action because we've given you nowhere else to go. And but that's really what's... 
It's the same old story, I suppose. It's the same old story. If if you, if you don't agree to this, you're not in the, I think the terminology used a lot is you're not inside the tent, so you don't get to yeah. talk about these things. But with 150 million, what are they going to solve inside that tent that we've been looking for across all the unions? You know, Sandra, you wanted to come in, did you? And I think, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, it does actually say under the sectorial agreements we're not allowed to use that to even talk about equal pay. I think I read somewhere like that, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not allowed to use that bit of money to sort that out. So straight away, as you said, they're sending it straight away. And then the insult to injury to say to us, we're setting up a committee-like style of all stakeholders to look at equal pay, you know, 12 years on from the crash. Like, you're like, it's just insulting to us. Every person, the dog industry knows how to sort it uh, out unequal pay it's basic maths you know and you just sort it out but the will's not there and I think this year there was a real slap in the face with the junior ministers how important equal pay is and that hasn't gone unnoticed by the public sectors and nor should it the idea that we actually need to set up committees to sort out equal pay when they could sort out theirs like that in two seconds Mm. is really really important and I think also what we really have to do is because we don't learn from history. What are we going to learn from? We're in the height of a pandemic and we couldn't get the government to the table. We could not get the government to the table to talk about a safe reopening in the middle of a pandemic. And Mark just laid out quite clearly to um, the only thing that got them to the table that was air threat to ballot. On the exact same week that we actually went public, we were initiating our ballot of our members and the media actually went to town on us uh, on behalf of the government to say, like, how very dare ASTI democratically decide to go to the members and ask them to vote on what safety conditions they would like to reopen on. And that, that was considered the terrible thing to do democratically. So to give up, the only thing that we had that, that got them to the table, that gave us power, was the threat not of our industrial of our industrial action. And this agreement, Mark, I won't go over again, Mark laid out the, the amount of manoeuvres they have to keep us at these talking tables, you know, that we know for they can wait weeks before even allowing us into the room to talk to them. And then they have all these things at their disposal to delay our actions, that to give that up, on a pretense that we have another committee to sort out equal pay, we're not allowed to do in our sectorial. Um, you've said it very clearly, Mark, they set us up. Our only tool we can use now is to use our industrial relations, use our power now of industrial action before going into saying no, we're striking against this. But I would make a big appeal out to the INTO because there's member, many members of the INTO who don't have equality. And again, the leadership agreeing on their behalf, you know, but, which is typical of them. They haven't gone to their members and asked. They're just making the recommend, recommendation, coming out and selling it and building momentum based on a lie. And uh, so we'd call for, Secretary Teachers would call for solidarity to us, to the IO, INTO membership and ask them to organise to reject it along with us because until we have equal pace all for all, then, you know, they're trying to just pit us against us in these sectorial agreements that don't really offer anything. I think it is important. It will it will have to go to a ballot across all the public sectors. So the INTO will have will have a, a say on whether to accept or reject the TUI, the ASTI, and then of course all the other trade unions who who are in it as well. So it is going to have to go to all. But just Mark as well. On that, you know, so we've talked a lot about the new entrance thing, and it's and I suppose lower paid teachers is probably the correct term we use now. But new entrants will be coming in next year, and and for those new entrants, it's even worse uh, the deal. The fact they have to wait so long. But um, the the there is there is money in the agreement in terms of there's a thousand euros I think isn't there um, that's given back to teachers uh, over the next two years or something along those lines so there is something in the agreement I think it was put to but I mean it is pennies we're talking about but I, I don't know whether it's sugar coating the poison I don't know but um, 
Yeah, I mean, there is 1% they're proposing on the 1st of October, or in October 21, and then another 1% in October 2022. But um, I mentioned earlier on, this is subject to these implementation plans and the reporting mechanism. So, you know, it, it, they seem to be even more determined this time to say you have to sign off on all of these changes before you even get to 1%, right? And let's assume you do sign off on all the changes that, and you've implemented all the changes that were agreed, and then you get your one percent. You have to look at how that would, how that would, what would that turn into in net terms? And I mean, you know, what are they going to ask you to do for it? In other words, in these sectoral agreements? Well, well, even even in just take the how much you would actually get from it. Like if you if you have a one percent increase, I mean, you probably get half of that in, in actual net terms if you're mm. on the higher tax rate. So there's some, there's some estimates that have been done. And let's say, you know, what they're saying is anybody who is, um, say, below 50,000 will get 500 as a base amount of money, right, as a floor. And then anybody over that will get um, uh, 1%, right? whichever is the greater. So, you know, if, it's, if you're on 50,000, 1% is 500 euro. So, so you'd be at least getting that, the 500 euro, if you're on 50,000 or lower. If you're on 50,000 or above, you could get 1%, right? So say you're on 60,000, you get 600 euro, right? Now, you know, like that's that's what they're talking about. Like for, for that's what you would get in, in October, right? Yeah, you know, that, and then that's, the that's where I was getting my 1,000 euro figure from. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. twice, so it's 1,000. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's it essentially. And of course, then you take the tax and whatever. So you're talking really about, now bear in mind that the previous agreement, bad as it was, and with the additional superannuation contribution, which costs people, which is essentially the pension levy made permanent, right? You know, which was 7% of pay. The last agreement actually <clears throat> offered 5.75% of pay restoration. Now that was restoration, right? This agreement offers it, it offers two percent, right? With a possible extra percent for the sexual bargaining aspect of it. So it's it's at best it's half what the previous agreement was, mm. you know? But you see they've done a very good job of, of managing down expectations and talking about a pay freeze and so on. So one percent or two percent or a thousand euro over two years seems like a huge uh seems like they've delivered for people you know mm. but in reality what it comes back to is the amount of productivity that they will be buying with such a small amount of money and we've already talked about the initial overload that's ongoing right and if you look at the education sector of the deal it, it lists all of the different uh, initiatives that the department of education has been working on over the years like you know it mentions the the um like the STEM strategy, the modern foreign language strategy, the strategy for sustainable development, the literacy and numeracy strategy, the junior cycle, and of course, what's new this time is the senior cycle. Yeah. Now, in other words, they're saying senior cycle reform within schools, right? So it's not just senior cycle reform on paper in the abstract or whatever, it's senior cycle reform in schools. So they're going to see the changes in schools. Now, most people would tell you, even if they were in favour of changing the senior cycle, that to try and implement it at this time in, in, a, in the context of COVID and to try and implement it when the, 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 the uh, impact of the junior cycle reform hasn't even been assessed, fully assessed yet. H how can you even think of embarking on another round of reform in the senior cycle? And they won't be ready for it even, even if they wanted to. So why put it into a document 
you know, they, they just, it's just a line in the document. But what does that actually translate into? It's a bit like the public service reform plan that we mentioned earlier. There's no details on that. And there's no actual details in terms of what they want in terms of work practice changes for senior cycle. Now, we can guess from the OECD, recent OECD report on the senior cycle review and things like that and what the NCTA have been saying up to now, that they're going to want, you know, changes in assessment. There's going to be, they want more changing changes for teachers. They want a more fragmented system at senior cycle level where students can essentially, you know, adopt a kind of modularized approach to this, a bit of this and a bit of that. A very fragmented, but yet integrated uh, system is what they're looking for, apparently, at senior cycle, from what we can tell so far. But, you know, now, we have to, it has to be said, we're not against reform itself. Because you know, there's new subjects that have come on stream, P being one of them, computer science. There are some there are actually some very positive uh, politics and society is another subject that's been introduced at senior cycle. These are all those three subjects I mentioned are very, very positive in terms of reform. But the thing is they're happening within the existing structures, mm-hmm. which protects uh, the exam system and the teachers as well within that system. Uh, and it just shows how you can have actually positive reforms within the current system. Now, there is the bigger debate about the link to third level and how more advantaged students, you know, who are wealthier and whatever, use the system as, as a, essentially to, to get points to get into college. That's a, big, that's a bigger, wider uh, social issue, social and political issue. Uh, it's not just an educational issue. Um, but just in terms of the senior cycle itself, you're talking about potentially lots of changes that, that will they be negotiated with us or will, will it be that if we vote for this that we're expected to cooperate whatever whatever change they decide, you know, whether that's operating modules of half-year modules or whatever, oh, and, or operating and, as and, and I, sub- I suppose the other, the other thing, is it ongoing? You know, uh, mm. the line is there now, so does that mean that if they introduce something two years' time, three years' time, four years' time, well, actually, back as in, back in 2020 you would, or 2021 it'll be by the time we vote on it, you agreed to this and, and that's an ongoing change. I think one of the key things, I went to a few of the, the NCCA meetings, you know, around the, the leaving cert, and one of the, the things that came out of all of those meetings that I've been at from teachers was, I suppose the words are, woe the pony, you know, uh, wait and wait till the junior cycle, do a longitudinal test on, on, on the junior cycle, a longitudinal study, see what the effects are, see is it working before you start putting those changes, which let's face it, they are pretty much the same changes, to leave insert level uh, and, and before you do the whole lot, do it bit by bit, but they don't seem to be doing that now. We're throwing this in. So, but, but I suppose there, that's a whole other podcast that we can, and we probably will do it. If people want to hear more about the stuff that we're doing here now, we, we can have more of these podcasts on the different specific issues, but, but in terms of building momentum and this deal, I suppose the key message is really marked there to trying to make is that you have to sign up for this initially. Right, so we'll be voting on it in in January, maybe February, depending on, on the length of time it takes. Um, and but we'll ha- we'll be asked to sign up for it, not knowing what the detail details of extra work uh, we're going to have to do, changes to work practices. Uh, you won't know that, so you're going in blind essentially. And as you said, there's only 150 million. And I one thing I noticed as well is, you know, I suppose in the program for government, they're talking about. Um, building on the positive changes to work practices, I suppose positive is the word they use that came about because of COVID. Now we all know what schools and what work practices are running in schools because of COVID. So that could be a t- an entirely different animal altogether that they want to keep. And we could see a lot of the stuff that we've had to do because of COVID 
maintained in our schools uh, going forward with this deal. You know, it could essentially be that. But again, it's nothing new, I suppose, because every deal, like I, I got I got involved in, I suppose, active in, in, the, in the union, really teaching since 2001, but I, I got active really around 2010 around in the union, uh, you know, around the Crow Park Agreement. And that kind of whole debate kind of sucked me in, I suppose. And I, that's when I became active in the union and all of these agreements are always the workload has just been ratchet and ratchet and ratchet and ratchet for pennies and actually sometimes cuts you know we won't cut you as much if you do this you know uh, and, and things so i mean Seamus, i think you've been looking to bring you in there you've been looking at some of these past deals uh, and just some of the stuff that that has been accumulating i suppose on top of it since 2010 yeah um i, I suppose that i i kind of looked i know that the essential issue is kind of equal pay but i just feel that the the impositions the workload the policies um that have been imposed on us um and i suppose we're kind of hamstrung because we you know i mean the asti we you know we it has to be acknowledged that we never accepted the new junior cycle um let's say i mean that 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 was only our industrial um relations was only our industrial action was only suspended in after that special convention you know mm. same with the crow park hours we we still as, as far as i'm concerned i know there's probably some kind of deadline you know that we say well we you know we kind of are now um agreeing to the junior cycle but yeah it's just you know you look at um the the cusson which is a huge one i know there was a few of us went to some of those discussions around Cusson and what it means now to be a, a teacher and to be constantly upskilling and this idea that um, you will have to show evidence of upskilling perhaps to be allowed to re-register um, on the teaching council. Um, the, I, I think it's the parent-student charter, which um, you know we've tried to have uh, an input into that, like where's the teacher in that charter um the other one is school autonomy which is a huge one and i know that in one of the agreements um i can't remember which one you know there was this idea that was introduced about performance management um kind of systems which they seem very intent on uh, bringing into every area where it's not um in place yet and it, i think it always intrigues me that i i feel that like I, I, I'm the department. I think department of education. I think they're dysfunctional, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I think they've been shown up during this pandemic, um, to be completely out of touch. And I think we were talking about it earlier, Sandra. Um, the principals even have come out. Um, and they're just, you know, they've, they've, they've had enough as well, you know. Um, but yeah, this performance management. It's I, th- I just think that the department. It, uh, and whatever whatever way that education, education seems to be the, they want it to be the savior of everything now. And every agreement that we sign up to, there's all these little things that are kind of, where are imposed on us um, as if they need to measure what output we have as if somehow this adds to, um, you know, some kind of economic value. It's just, yeah, I find that very, very disturbing that there's these introduction of performance management system and that school autonomy document, which hasn't gone away. You know, there's um, a piece in that, that at the end of the year, you will have a conversation with your principal, let's say, mm. about how the year has gone. Um, yeah, so I suppose that's kind of in a, in a nutshell. I had 
Um, you know, there was a list. The, this fight back document that is produced for every convention. Like there's there's a list of things there that are just like the you know review of STEM education. The big one now at the moment is the um, the uh, I suppose the SEN new SEN proposals that are coming in. Um, the whole idea around well being as well. That was another thing that I just looked at. Um, when the ex-quota uh, guidance counsellor was taken away from schools. And I just remembered that Rory Quinn's um, comment about that you don't need guidance counsellors because, you know, a, a student could talk to the caretaker. And then it kind of introduced, and this, this kind of idea that we now have, the whole well-being initiatives. I mean, the amount of hours that are the junior cycle, I think, is it, will it be 400 hours next year, I think? Um, of well-being courses and this idea that, you know, it's kind of like well-washing, that we can take away all these supports, all these psychological supports, any kind of um, publicly provided, like CAMS. Um, you know, so many students fall through the gaps or, or so many teenagers fall through the gaps and suddenly it's as if, well, let's give the teachers, we'll give them 400 hours of well-being and you go sort it out um along with many other things yeah so i think i hope that's um yeah I th- I th- uh, it kind of sums up really the the initiative overload and the constant changes that the, i think that document you're referring to advancing school it's called advancing school autonomy and it, if people if the listeners to this want to, to just check just google um, advancing school autonomy ireland and it's probably one of the first pdfs that pops up on the search and just have a read through it it's good that this is I suppose this is the change that they're trying to bring in uh, to Ireland. It, it, it's it's worded as a good thing, I suppose. So what school wouldn't want autonomy, you know, but it's removing the, the centralization, I suppose, away from education and all schools would be doing their own thing. It's almost like a big free market of, of schools is, is really what they're looking yeah. at, you know, and, 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 what you're, sorry, and it's destroying education. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're looking at as well is you're opening up, uh, which what, which let's say, a neoliberal system would like you they want parental choice so you would open up to school league tables essentially you know um which is what i mean they if they it seems to me the uk model seems to be the model that um they kind of want to you know copy in this in in this country but even you're talking to principals there sorry sandra go ahead go on no, I was saying, but linked to what you were saying, like all this, all this level of upskilling and the performance management, it's actually insulting to teachers because, like, look at COVID was a, an extreme example. Like, you know that we're well able to upskill. Like this idea that they constantly proofread, there we were straight away, zooms, recordings, editing. Teachers never use computers. We're able to do them when it's when it was for the benefit, and we know we'll increase our our teaching learning. Naturally, that's what we do. We seek out better ways, better tools, better resources. But this idea is packaging stuff for us and telling us you have to do this or you have to go online and you have to get the stamp cert. I never had as much, and I do a lot, I would have done a lot of upskilling and I would have also trained teachers and project maths and stuff like that myself, like, you know, and, and, and done it. But I don't have certs. And this idea that everything has to be certified and monitorized and all of that, like the amount of upskilling that we have now, like going in and, and doing all this stuff, but as well, I think it was pointed out before, it's all Google, it's all Adobe Sparks, it's all Microsoft. Like, they're getting a big, big contracts from the education industry and it, rather than the schools and educationals having it themselves. They'll talk about performing, 
performance and managing ourselves. But they just literally outsourced our whole educational system during the pandemic. We took responsibility for our own training and did it well. There was no education online for when we needed it. But these tick the box exercises that were constantly told to go on and quote park and constantly extra uh, monitoring us. It's just insulting to us and our students that we naturally as educators, we like to educate and we like to be we like seeking things ourselves and see like majority of teachers that I know are self-learners and I learn in the amount of informal learning that goes on in, in our staff rooms like the amount of times that I'd sit down with a colleague oh show me that and she's like show me that and naturally it was happening for years that you're worn down with this babysitting a crow park do this tick that box fill this paperwork out you walk over an hour's meeting now since the crash with nothing, where prior to the crash, the informal meetings with your colleagues, you learned so much, you discussed so much, you shared so much resources, and everything has just become very formalised, and it really takes time. And I think, Mark, you said this before about the idea that our children were not learning during COVID-19, the idea that they weren't experiencing an education. They weren't experiencing a traditional sort of education, but education happens in and outside school, and, and these kids have had a raw an education beyond belief you know we probably have many scientists and mathematicians understand stats for the first time more than anyone will because it's real to them but again all this over over monitoring us and over you know expecting the work overload and worse initiatives and assuming it's just very contradictory they say to our kids have individual learning plans not every every method doesn't suit all but yeah us as teachers we have to go on all the exact same training courses do you know what I mean an identical unit there and this is what you do yeah we're being told to teach in a different way you know the, the training courses we go on is one size fits all go do it and tick the box as opposed to thinking you could upscale and have that flexibility within your own course I just again initiative initiative overload but the monitoring of us uh, is just insulting yeah I yeah, think, I mean, yeah. Go on, Mark. yeah go ahead yeah, I suppose that brings brings us kind of on to, to the point that was made in the programme for government. And you see it there in the chat. Um, teachers and leaders in education need to be supported to continually improve. We will help them develop their own self-evaluation plan and design and implement initiatives to deliver measurable improvements. And in the light of all the effort that people have made in COVID, the response, you know, people have, you know, the innovation people you know have got involved in the flexibility that they've shown and that doesn't seem to be enough it seems to have to be measured in in terms of this self-improvement plan you know i mean as you said people have adopted enormously and shown great flexibility innovation all that kind of thing and but it just doesn't seem to count unless you measure it and you know it's it's like this is the whole philosophy is like you know you start to value what you measure and, and this kind of thing they they want to you know as far as they're concerned you know unless they start measuring it people won't value it but i mean we do value what we do already as professionals and as people committed to education but they have this kind of view that no unless you measure it it won't count and, and you won't value it which is just crazy but that's what they seem to be intent on and this idea of a self-evaluation plan that kind of fits into Kosan and the whole idea of performance management kind of kind of through the back door and I mean like when we say this it's not that we're you know we're sort of appealing that we can be irresponsible and we're, we're not saying we want to be lazy and we don't want to do our job and we don't want to change and we don't want to introduce new things it's it's the way you do it and it's whether you're trusted or not to do it whether you're trusted as a professional to do it or whether they what they talk about moving from a professional culture to an audit culture 
you know, and that's what that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to, and and we're saying, hang on, we're professionals. Look at all that we've done, and you know, I've been involved in introducing computer science. Andrew's been involved in PE. Just people being involved in introducing the politics and society subjects. So it's not like we're opposed to change for change, you know, just per se. But if it's meaningful change as professionals, of course we, and it's beneficial, of course we support it. But we do it from the perspective of professional commitment, not from you know, an audit culture of, as you say, take the box, are you doing this, are you doing that, is this, can this be measured, can that be measured? It's a totally, what they call a clinical approach to education, and it's just, it's kind of goes against the whole spirit of education, which is supposed to be broadening people's minds and looking at the wider world and, and, and developing people. Instead, it's kind of narrowing down and focusing on, are you doing this, are you doing that, have you done that, you know? It's just like, it's so, it's so just anti-education if you if you like and i just i just find it so repugnant as 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 somebody who's committed to education that they would try and push it in this direction so you know i don't think like you know people say oh you, you know we're opposing change we're always opposed to change we're always against things or whatever no absolutely not we're against we're in favor of positive change positive reform it's just that too often a lot of the reform that comes from uh, the top-down reform that we've seen is is imposed it's negative it's it's kind of narrow, it's clinical, and it, it turns education into something it's not. And, and you know, we, we, we just have to, we can't just say, oh, that's sure, that's grand. We have to actually say something about it and at least try and change it to some extent so that we can have something meaningful rather than just this kind of audit culture that they want. Yeah. And you know what, Mark, do you see what you were saying there? Do you know when you, you were saying when you're, you're introducing the positives and all this? And I think that this came out in one of the principal's arguments today in the newspaper and the opinion a piece. When they do come up with the positives, right, it's never matched with the resources. Like we could look at all this new type of learning and the junior, the junior cycle and all the goods from it, it can't be delivered in a classroom size of 30. Do you know what I mean? We know a lot of this stuff works in groups in classroom sizes of eight to ten, what they do in other countries across the world. But they'll come up with these great things they read from educational things abroad and just try to take it and make it for our system, which the COVID pandemic exposed totally when they were trying to compare Sweden has opened up this and then things were coming out. Well, the investment in Sweden and we've the worst amount of investment of education. And here they are trying to make cuts again. I, I just want to make that point. But the positives are often when we see something positive, we know it's just going to turn on top of us and it's not going to get matched with any sorts of resources we need. To implement, I think that, like, some people listen to this probably saying, Well, we're, we're going off the point here now about you know, in terms of the building momentum green, but we've kind of let it run because it's not really because the whole point about this is, is productivity and what other changes are they going to bring in in these sectoral uh, talks. Now, they call them talks that we're going to go into, and you're going to get to scrap a bit with all the other unions over these different issues. But I mean, Sandra, you talked about the principles there today, and I think. One of the keys things that I've noticed changed, I've, I've been involved, I was on, the, on the, the, the standing committee of the ASTI, I think it's this is my sixth year now, so I'm, I'm, I'm nearly finished now, I've only got a couple of months left, but one of the things I've noticed in is how how changes that are brought in have changed, how, how the talks have changed, like they, they talk about consultation and they talk about this, but, but there isn't really, it's now what seems, seems to happen, I, I believe the principals are kind of saying the same thing, what seems to happen is they're brought into a room, they're asked their opinion, the opinions are jotted down, and then the department leave, and then a few days later, the new policy drops. So it's not like they're going into a room and sitting down and discussing it and agreeing different things and saying, yeah, we should put that in, no, we can't leave, you know, we have to leave this out. And This 
process, the normal process of negotiation doesn't seem to be happening. It's come in, gives your opinion, and then something drops. And it could be the total opposite of the opinion that was given to them, etc. And that seems to be the way that negotiations are done now. But they keep saying this consultation, you know, and, and that's the fear, I suppose, around this building momentum. Uh, it, it, what's in this? What, what are we going to be asked? What other changes are they going to ram down our throat and say, well, look, you've accepted 500 quid this year and next year to do all of this stuff. So shut up and go away. And, and you can't ever take industrial action or any cost claim and measures on us unless you do all of this stuff. So they have this agenda around education and it seems to be rather than bringing teachers along and, and, and bringing people who educate them along and principals along, they seem to be just hammering this agenda through. And we saw, you know, that's my fear around this deal as well. Is it huge? And that's leaving aside the issue that they haven't even remotely corrected uh, the equal pay issue. But what is going to come out of this? If we accept it initially, what can we hope for in the sectoral talks? My own opinion is not much. Uh, and what else are they going to land on top of us? It's not what are we going to get. It's what are they going to land on top of us uh, in these sectoral talks? And, and, and what, you know, what's going to be asked uh, again of us when every teacher seems to be screaming, slow down, stop with all this initiative, wait, wait and see if something works long-term first. And if it works, then move it on, great, then use it. But you can't just keep shoving as all, everything at us like a big experiment, uh, you know, because it's just going to end in a mess. Um, you know, so I think that's no, kidding, we're not we're not really going off the point. We're trying to make the point that this building momentum is another agreement, like Crow Park, like Haddington Road, and all these things had the new junior start tied up in it. They have leaving start tied up in it. They have all these changes tied up in these agreements. So what's going to be tied up in this one? I think is the point that we're trying to make. You know, Shame. and I think it yeah, it comes to a point too where like we've said, uh, I mean, the ASTI has said no so many times. Um, I think, and 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 it, they used to get us to to kind of revote. I think we agreed to having a road on the third ballot, um, and now they just ignore us. They just now they introduced this repudiation clause. I think for was that Haddington Road or or Lansdowne Road? I just get confused. So I mean, we're not a part of the last agreement. We we didn't we voted against that, but because we never repudiated it, we're considered to be a part of it. And it's just I mean the industrial relations landscape. It, something has to be done. I mean, I mean, I know we're talking about the agreement, but we're we're talking from a, a perspective of trade unionists. Yeah, and I think, and I think what you said about absolutists, right? Never have we seen absolutist attitude as much as we have. So for, like, we're even people who aren't teachers, much like could see the absolutist attitude when Clamoris um boys boys national school like absolute attitude towards education and um, people like basically the same news cycle is saying to people and um, don't go outdoors don't keep your clothes contacts down you know think about fizzing your nanny and granddad think about that trophy dinner you don't have to do it. you could essentially be killing your loved one and the exact same news story was telling teachers educators to go into a building with a 13 percent infection rate essentially mm. going into a building with a gas leak mm. and wouldn't listen to any consultation from teachers par parents groups and principals and so that's the attitude we're getting treated in the public eye in the middle of a pandemic that's a life and death situation so that's ultimately why we can't give away our industrial power before we even know what we're going into because literally like we're, we're up against it right now as you you pointed out right there Shane is like you know they're just ignoring us but they can't ignore our, our industrial 
you know, when we come together industrially, it's good to see TUI recommending a no. And that's why ASTI and TUI grassroots members need to actually be saying to the INTO grassroots members, come alongside us, do not let union leaderships, do not let the government split us up. This is not equal pay. And bottom line, they know how to sell equal pay. We've seen it. And, and we have to fight for that because we have to be willing to use our tools that are available to us. And that's industrial action. And I mm. think now COVID, very much like the last time, the workers had to pay for the bailout, despite what Michal Martin said in the doll the other day, like the banks didn't get bailed out, like rewriting history. We've got, we've got to really, really see the power of change and who pays for this pandemic will be down to the type of way we're organised industrial and in our trade union. As you said, we're speaking as trade unionists. We have to realise the power is in the hands of the workers. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose just so what's going to happen now, I suppose, to outline to people is that this has to be put to a ballot or it has to be put to members um, because there's, there is a, a link to pay in it. Um, so, and there's a, an offer of money uh, paltry as it is so it, it has to go to a ballot so in our union i suppose in the asti we have um we have standing committee which is a, um, a small group at the at the top so about 23 or 24 on that group and then we have a wider uh, representative body then i suppose it's cc and it's about 180 on that group so we depend on the size of your branch you could have two or three or, or four members uh, on cc and so cc now is going to meet uh, i think it's on the the 8th of january and um, so the bit of 100 Nine. The ninth, is it? Yeah. So we, we CC is going to meet down the ninth, and CC then will decide what to do with this, I suppose, deal in, in inverted commas. So they can do a number of things. They could reject it outright um, and not put it out, but that would take two thirds majority of CEC. Um, and then they could they could vote to put it out without any recommendation, or they could vote to put it out uh, with a yes recommendation to accept it or they could put it out with a recommendation to reject it. Now, I think most of us here listening to us are firmly in the, in the reject it, uh, put out reject it uh, box, I suppose, or, or group. Um, so that's what's going to happen. The TUI, they don't have that CEC layer. They have a smaller executive at the top and then they have the branches and the wider membership, but their smaller executive at the top has decided to put it out with a recommendation to reject, which is good. So um, hopefully, I suppose the ASTI, we, the two unions... Uh, that have been battling and constantly seem to be in conflict with each other. Hopefully we can be on the same page uh, in, in, in this particular issue and on this particular deal as well. Um, so hopefully that will come to pass. So that's what's going to happen. So if, if anyone listening is wondering what to do, I suppose, what, well, our recommendation would be to vote no, I suppose, you know, from personally, from, from the four of us here. And I think I suppose it'd be to vote no, uh, to, to hopefully stand with the TUI, get together with the TUI, and look at ways that we can we can we can try and you know stem the the onslaught of new initiative new initiative new initiative see if we can get the the equal pay issue sorted between the two of us although it would be a lot easier with with the INTO but unfortunately they've they've decided to recommend uh, yes but you never know the membership in the INTO hopefully will will say absolutely not uh, this is you know it's a, it's a core issue that we fought for for years um, so hopefully they say no as well, and then we could have the three teacher unions, you know, and other te- other unions who are not teacher unions might say, no, this is a bad deal, and this is you know, what initiative overload are they going to have in their professions? Hopefully they'll say no, enough is enough, you know, um, to offer us a paltry couple of quid here and there to get us a huge amount of extra work. So I mean, I suppose that's where we are at the moment. Is that 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 just to let people know that's where we are. That that's the stage it's at, you know. So 
that meeting's the 9th of January. You, probably about six, seven weeks after that, you'll probably expect a ballot. Um, it could be a bit quicker, I don't know, but uh, you, you'd be expecting a ballot on the issue. Um, yeah, just one thing to mention is is that um, when we go into January, it'll be the 10th anniversary since the introduction of Unequal Pay. Mm. 10 years, a decade. Mm. So it's not like people haven't been patient. <laughs> 10 years of Unequal Pay. And, it, you know, even if this, if, let's just imagine for a minute that this deal solved it. You'd still be annoyed that it took 10 years, but you'd be saying, well, at least after 10 years, it's sorted, right? Mm. But even with this deal, it won't be sorted after 12 years because you'll still be come to the end of 2022 and there'll still be unequal pay. So, like, are they ever planning to, to solve it? That's the big question. So, like, I would just say, look, a decade is long enough for this. And mm. how can any union say, and I mean, you know, like, there's, you know, they, 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 I think the case is unanswerable at this stage, you know. And even if they didn't give the 1% or something and they just gave, you know, allocated the resources to uh, solve an equal pay, at least that would bring everybody to a certain level and then we can see where we go from there. But there's not even that possibility in this agreement, you know, which again, you know, like it's not that we're against the possibility of negotiating something. It's just that you can see from this deal that they don't even give us that opportunity yeah. because they it's already sewn up before it's even put to, put, put to ballot. So what are we supposed to do? Like, you know, the only thing they're offering for us is to accept that unequal pay continues for another two years. And then there's no, there, there's no kind of sign that it might be even resolved after that. So, Sorry. you know. Yeah, go on, yeah, James. No, just, yeah, just, I mean, again, like, I mean, we know in the ASTI, we've suffered greatly because of FEMPI, which was another thing that I, I, mm. I wanted to mention, the financial emergency measures in the public interest. Um, you know, I mean, there was that, I mean, the, completely and utterly anti-trade union um, legislation. I mean, I know, like, I mean, I know there's a couple of court cases the ASTI are bringing in, in certain jurisdictions um, against the government um, for, first of all, for... Um, the use of such uh, legislation and also because of the way we were fempied, we had an increment freeze and the nurses didn't when they took um, in industrial action. Um, yeah, but like, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I suppose the question I want to ask is, um, I, has fempy completely gone from the statute books now? Or do they still retain, does anyone know, uh, still retain a small a, a clause in fempy or something that could be used against... Um, any trade union who, let's say, um, repudiates the agreement, because I assume that even if we vote no to this new agreement, which I, I, I think we will, I think the INTO will, I think the INTO are very annoyed because they voted overwhelmingly against the last agreement and they were just ignored. Um, yeah, so I suppose I'd, I'd assume all three unions will reject it. My problem then is, would be that as trade unions, you would hope that we would do something to repudiate the agreement if it, it, um, otherwise we'll just be assumed to be in it. Um, or maybe we won't be. If it's sectoral talks, we'll be allowed into them. Um, but if, if, if that happened, is Fempi still on the statute books? Could we be penalised under um, that kind of legislation? Anyone know the answer? It's not, it's not clear yet. I mean, there are some remaining people who are still under Fempi 
like the very high earners now it doesn't really concern teachers but um it's a question of whether the the FMP penalties and punishments are still there and um i think the only way we we'll see that for definite is when they produce the legislation that gives effect to this agreement because normally what happens is normally the normal schedule is they agree a deal in early part of the year they ballot by the summer and the legislation usually comes in around november and is passed before christmas that's what happened in previous occasions it's usually november that the legislation go through the door now what this what the parliamentary schedule is or the doll schedule is for that i don't know but let's say the legislation is drawn up there you see there's stuff in the deal that talks about things having to be finalized i think it's by june uh, 2021 there's you know the sectoral stuff and all that has to be nailed down eventually so we mightn't see legislation until like july or something to give effect to it so we won't definitively know if they're planning to you know introduce something there and also i think it Fempi comes up for renewal at the end of june now who knows you see with with brexit and with the covid crisis and all that if they don't try to renew Fempi in a general sense or renew crisis measures yeah. in general sense. so we don't know so but i think, think that'll key- be my opinion yeah, but I think a key a key point for me on that is if even if it is there and even if they do renew it in January, Fempi is really effective if we're divided. So you think Fempi was effective, I suppose, in that it brought around it brought about uh, I suppose a conflict within the ASTI, I suppose, when around around the CID issue and other issues, and people are saying, look, I can't stay here, I can't do this industrial action, blah, blah. And that ultimately brought around uh, the, I suppose, a special convention where we saw down our industrial action through that convention. But um, so it was effective for, from the government's point of view and that it did its job because, but I think if the, the TUI and if the ASTI and even the INTO, if the three of us are in the rejection point, then it becomes really ineffective uh, because, you know, if if all secondary schools are saying, well, no, we're going to take some sort of industrial action, we're not going to agree to this until we get a proper deal or a proper, you know, uh, analysis or even a proper consultation around our, our, ourselves, you know, around some of the issues, um, then it is ineffective because it'd be primary schools and secondary schools acting together or even in the event that the INTO, if they've accepted, then at least it's all secondary schools. Where, where it would become effective is if the ASTI was on their own or the TUI was on their own or the INTO was on their own. That's where FEMPI becomes effective, really. But again, if we can get all three teacher unions or even the secondary sector just to reject this deal and stand together, then I think FEMPI is less effective on us then, you know? Even if that is, even if it is still mm. legally in place, uh, we don't know that yet, but... I think we'll we, we wrap this up. I think that's nearly the hour mark. So uh, I know we kind of jumped around a bit, but it's our first time doing this kind of uh, podcast. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's worth doing. Uh, hopefully people will listen to it, take out a few notes. Hopefully they didn't fall asleep. But I mean, I think we've, we've, we've touched on a lot of the deal that's out. And I suppose there is a lot more issues, pressing issues, I suppose, in terms of COVID and return to our schools in January and the whole issue there. And if the senior cycle, as we're talking to talking about already, uh, change the junior cycle so there's a whole thing a lot of issues that we could have chats and debates on and just and, and record them you know and leave people listen to them so that if, we, if we can offer some sort of information by them listening to us having a chat uh, then great but uh no so uh, thanks for coming along anyway i think i think it was worthwhile and we'll yeah. throw it together and yeah. see and that is it for now so thank you very much for listening i hope you weren't too bored 
and um, we will of course touch on all the other issues uh, you know that we we face in our schools um week in week out uh, it just so happens that this new deal dropped uh, at, the, at the time we were recording this so uh, yeah so listen thanks for listening and um, look please subscribe to this podcast so we can be kept updated when we have a new one and we'll hopefully see you in a couple of days or a week or two weeks with a new episode uh, so thanks again thank you bye bye